Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Stuff, you guys. You guys are going to love this particular Rockney cast. I'm interviewing Levy Lee Simon on the great Haitian revolutionary Toussaint Louverture. Uh, Lee is a really close friend of mine. Uh, he was in the theater program at the University of Iowa in the late 90s when I was in law school. And at that time, he was drafting a, a, essentially a play on the great Haitian revolutionary Toussaint Louverture. And I remember thinking, gosh, that so much so needs to be making into a movie. So he's going to update you on how he learned about Toussaint Louverture, um, who's interested in possibly making it into a movie, a little bit of background on uh, the Haitian Revolution. You're going to learn about Jean Desalines, Henri Christophe. It's a tale of action and adventure and betrayal. You're going to learn new things, too, like about Desalines, one of the great Haitian revolutionaries. Uh, you're really going to love this. I was going to try to break it up into three different segments because it's a lot. It's an hour and 15 minutes, but you know, you can do that. Um, and put it in your iPad or your, or your, or your phone and just soak it up. Um, Lee is not only a close friend of mine. Um, he's just a great all around, really badass, talented person. And so we had a lot of fun recording this. It took me a little while to put this all together just because. There's just so much in this particular episode. So I hope you learn it, learned it as much about the Haitian Revolution as I did in um, putting this um, Rockney cast together. It's a, basically, we're doing it to celebrate Black History Month, and you're going to hopefully learn a lot about one of the most important countries in the Western Hemisphere, which, which is Haiti. Uh, and you'll learn why and, and really learn about the origins and the impact of the Haitian Revolution, not only on Haiti, but on the United States at large. So um, you're, real, you're in for a real treat on this particular Rockney cast. So let's get started interviewing Levy Lee Simon. Welcome to the Rockney cast. Today I have the pleasure of Levy Lee Simon, an award-winning playwright um, who studied at the University of Iowa in the late 90s and is currently a playwright and actor in Los Angeles. We're going to discuss Levy Lee's screenplay that which subsequently made into a movie for the love of freedom in up epic trilogy about Toussaint Louverture, um, Jean-Jacques de Desalines and Henri Christophe, the big three of the Haitian revolution. Haiti is this amazing country. I have had so many friends that have absolutely been transfixed by Haiti. I have a friend that runs a medical mission there. I had a brother-in-law that spent a year there. And nearly to a person, nearly everyone that I have uh, met um, absolutely loves Haiti, its culture, its food, its people. Um, and Lee, Levy Lee has had, taken an opportunity to um, draft this incredible screenplay, which has subsequently been made into a movie. Incredibly excited today. Lee, as I said, I met him in, at the University of Iowa in the late 90s. Um, he is an award-winning playwright. Um, for among other plays such as the Bow Wow Club, um, The Last Day of King Henry Christophe, Caseload, of course, For the Love of Freedom. In the University of Iowa in the late 90s, he was in A Midsummer's Night's Dream, which, Lee, I think that was probably one of the best adaptations of Shakespeare I've ever seen. 
Uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom by August Wilson, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and Seascape by Edward Albee. So just an incredible set of plays that I saw in the late 90s. But, but most importantly, uh, Levy Lee and I are good friends. Um, we were certainly busy in the late 90s. Um, we didn't have enough conversations, but the ones that we did were pure gold. Uh, we talked about art, life, and racial justice. And so welcome to the Rockney cast, Levy Lee. How are you? I'm good. Uh, it's Levy Lee. <laughs> Levy Lee. So do, Levy yeah. Lee. Should we, should we do the whole thing over again? Um, I don't know. That's fun to me. <laughs> you know, everyone always does that. It's not, it's no big deal. You don't have to feel bad about it. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, sound, well, maybe we'll leave it in. This will be the three. Yeah. 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 So. You know, no, you know, this is, you know, the thing is, the thing is, Rockney is that you call me Lee. Mostly everybody calls me Lee and, um, Levy Lee is my, uh, people that know me call me Lee, but Levy Lee is like my professional name. You know, so if you were out here in L.A. Um, and you mentioned Lee, people would be Lee who? You know, but if you said Lee, Levy Lee, they would know exactly right away. Oh, well, yeah, do, that black guy, that black guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I do remember Lee. And then when I read your notes prior, you said Levy Lee. And I'm like, oh, my God, did, was I was I calling you Lee all these years when it should have been Levy Lee? Oh, geez. So, well, good no, 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 Rockney. What I'm saying is, is that people that know me and are my friends call me Lee. So you were in your, you were right to be calling me Lee. Oh, Levy Lee is more on the professional side. Nice. Nice. Well, right. Levy Lee. Um, <laughs> of, got it right. One of our last conversations. And in fact, I think, you know, I'd mentioned these plays that I had seen of you and they were just incredible. And you had an incredible troupe there in the late nineties. I remember Douglas, and all, you know, Paul, all those. And, and as I understand, the University of Iowa at the time, you'd essentially do a troupe that would be there for like three years. And so that was, I think it mimicked almost exactly the, the time that I was at law school. Incredible plays. But I remember one of the last conversations that you and I had uh, before you headed out to um, L.A. is you had talked about the screenplay that you were going to do on Toussaint L'Ouverture, The Father of the Haitian Revolution. And I was just sort of blown away by this story. And I was really excited to see what was going to come of it. And I think I actually saw the reading that you had done of that. And I believe it was at the Studio Olo in Iowa City. Is that is that your recollection or was that another play that I saw at Studio Olo? At Studio Olo, it was a different play because uh, For the Love of Freedom was read at, at, the, at the University Theater. Okay. I think I, I don't know. I think I remember you being there. I, I In my mind, I, I think I remember seeing you there. But yep. yeah, I was there and it did. I, and, and it was just incredible. And I was thinking, oh, my gosh, I cannot wait to see what this looks like in full either play form or movie form. <laughs> and I'm really excited because it has now come into movie form and it can be found on for the love of freedom, which can be found on Amazon Prime, is my understanding. Is that is that no, correct? No, that's that's incorrect. But here's here's the deal, and it's and it's um it's a story behind this, uh, which I didn't get to get to talk to you about. But uh, I so I wrote my thesis play for the love of freedom, the first part of it, Toussaint L'Ouverture, and before I left Iowa, um. I was sitting, this is 2001, I, I was sitting in my, in my office at the theater building and I got a phone call 
from a man named Ben Guillory at the Roby Theater in L.A. I, I didn't know who he was. He just said, Lee, we, we, we got your script for The Love of Freedom, and we would like to do it as a play, not as a movie, but as a play. And uh, And then he said, somebody wants to talk to you. And the voice said, hey, man, love this play, man. We've been looking for a play like this for 7, 11 years, man. Well, it was Danny Glover, right? And and I'm in Iowa going, this can't be true. Somebody's playing a trick on me, right? <laughs> and, and, and But it was Danny Glover, and they said that they wanted to do the play. Danny I had had already been working on a screenplay for Toussaint Louverture. Um, and with, and and that screenplay never got done. Um, that's because of, you know, that, that brings us into another kind of conversation. Um, but what happened with the play that you saw the first reading of was that it was done in LA, uh, in 2001 and then the second play was done in 2002, and the third play was done in 2004. It was highly successful. We um, we were nominated for the, uh, over a time for uh, 16 NAACP awards and uh, one Ovation Award, um, which is the LA Big Theater Awards, like the Tonys or something, and. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was nominated for best playwright in all three situations, and um, so it's highly successful. And we're still looking at trying to get the movie done. Um, but the play itself was again has been highly successful. And the next step with that is like actually we were going to be doing it uh, a, a reading of it in, in the entire trilogy in New York this in 2020, but COVID came and that was canceled wow. until, until another time. So if people wanted to know more about the play itself, are there any venues where they can read the script or is it just the type of thing that they would have to actually get the play? Yeah, they would have to get, the play is not published uh, at this point. Uh, again, another, another conversation, but um but uh, I mean, if anybody that I'm a, wants to read it, uh, you can always just contact me. Oh, perfect. Well, I, I think it's so important because this is one of these, you know, my initial response to that was, wow, this is going to be incredible. And so the more I learned about Toussaint Louverture, I sort of had a little bit of a similar response to what I think that maybe you did is, well, wh why don't I know more about this great figure mm -hmm. of the Western Hemisphere? Um, so what I wanted to get into is a little bit is, first off, for audience, who was um, Toussaint Louverture? Toussaint Louverture was uh, Toussaint Breda before he became Louverture. And he was an enslaved man on the Breda plantation in Haiti back in the mid 1700s, mid to late 1700s. And he was highly respected. His, his, his slaver um, treated him like, like a man, taught him how to read. He was a, he was a devout Catholic. He was a coachman 
and that was his job on the plantation was to drive uh, his uh, enslaver uh, around, you know, on business and stuff like that. So he learned the island. He knew the island like he knew the back of his hand. Um, he was greatly respected by the other blacks on the island because he came from a a family of medicine men going back to Africa. So he knew how to treat people's illnesses and heal people from uh, any kind of injury that they had. And he was just well-respected like that. Um, uh, he was 46 when the, or 43, some, there's some discrepancy in there, but he was not a young man um, given the times. And uh, when the revolution or the resurrection broke out um, and people wanted to have him as their leader, uh, they were talking about it long before it actually happened. And he refused to, um, to take on that responsibility because he didn't really know what would happen, you know, in the end after the uh, the blacks won, uh, he didn't know who was going to take over and run the island uh, because he knew that that these uh, you know former slaves would not be able to do it because they were uneducated and did not know anything about um, managing a, a country. And they could have, they likely probably would have been blocked from a lot of trade as well. I mean, so, oh. and of course, too, he was probably really concerned, not only what would happen if he were to win, but of course, the inevitability, if he, if they lost the bloodshed, I'm sure that, you know, he was worried about for his people um, as well. And and so it's, it's an incredible story of, you know, this great liberator um, of his people in, as I understand it, one of the, fir- or the only uh the only, the only rock, the only, the, the only yes, the only um, people that liberated themselves from bondage through a violent revolution in the history of the world, as recorded. And that just blows me away, Lee. That blows me away. Yeah. So that gets into my next question: is why don't we know about this? <laughs> and, and the second related question is, is how were you fortunate enough to learn about this incredible leader? So I guess that's two questions, but let's start, I guess, with the second one first. Um, how did you discover this, this incredible um, world figure? Well, it, it was a, it was kind of like a step deal, you know, where, I had read a little bit about him in a book called uh, Great Men of Color. And uh, it was, you know, one of those bi- biographic books where they they give you a little bit of information about several different great people. And Toussaint was in that book. And I, I was, that was the first thing that put my attention on, who is this guy? You know, and then uh, a few years later, you know, I saw a Broadway play, um, for Colored Girls Who Have Considered Suicide When the Rainbow Is Enough by Intezaki Shange. And there's a monologue in that play, beautifully written, beautifully performed, about Toussaint Louverture. And I, I left thinking, oh, my, I, I need to know more about him. And um, I eventually ended up at a 
not directly after, but later, years later, I eventually ended up at a bookstore up in Harlem, where I'm from, and uh, the Black Liberation Bookstore, which is not there anymore, I don't think. But anyway, I picked up a book randomly called The Black Triumvirate by Benjamin Levin. And I read the first page of the book standing in the bookstore. And I said, oh, I got to buy this. And I did. And I I couldn't put it down. It, it was like all the the history, not only the history, but the intricate knowledge of what was going on at that time with these people. It was a character study. It was, it was more than that. It, you know, it was like, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I mean, take the drugs out, but. Well, and that's the other thing too, is like taking us back to the 18th century. Yeah. Um, you know, Haiti, obviously, as I, I said, in the present day, a lot of my friends love Haiti. They go there, they, they do missions there, they do medical work there. But it's on the world stage, it's it's it doesn't have as much influence. But as I understand it, in the 18th century, it was like one of the most influential countries in, in the Caribbean and, you know, even in the Western Hemisphere in terms of sugar, in terms of the French presence. So if you could just sort of elaborate sort of what a big deal it was at that time, um, you know, in terms of Haiti and, and, and what had happened there. Well, my gosh, I mean, you know, doing my, one of the most exciting things about uh, this writing, this trilogy to me was the research and in yeah. doing the research. And by the way, University of Iowa has one of the best libraries I have ever, ever, ever had the experience of, of you know, researching or anything. Um, I At the University of Iowa, I ran across. Uh, handwritten letters from two white uh, teachers that were living in Haiti during that time. Uh, uh, they were from Philadelphia. And I, I read their words uh, where they described what it was like being in Haiti and how I mean, it, it was it was a place to be because of the weather, because of the social atmosphere. You know, and all these people would from all around the world. You know, it was a, it was like a worldwide hub. People from everywhere would come, you know, to hang out in Haiti because of the land, because of the food, because of everything. Culturally, they had it going on for a while, you know, uh, as a French colony. Um and it was very, it was very influential, and 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 you got this idea to say, hey, uh, what made you essentially think that this could potentially be a screenplay, or something you'd want to, you know, you mentioned the University of Iowa, where where did it sort of, you know, germinate? That all of a sudden you're like, no, this isn't only an interesting story, this is something I want to actually bring to life. Well, when 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 going back to when I got the book and I read the book. I wasn't I wasn't writing at that time. I, I'm you know I'm an actor and I was pursuing my acting career in New York. And when I finished the book, I said, "Wow, this will make a great movie or a great play." Uh, I didn't think I would be the one to write it. I just I just thought that. And then as life unfolded, and um, you know, I ended up getting the opportunity to come to. Um, the Iowa Playwrights Workshop and 
Art Barreca, my advisor at the time at the university, said, uh, yeah, well, after three years, Lee, you'll have to write your thesis play. And I said, you know, I already know what I'm going to write. I'm going to write a, I'm going to write an epic drama about the Haitian Revolution. And the the reasons are many. I mean, first of all, you know, they were the only people to liberate themselves, the violent revolution. But the stories behind that, the intrigue, the 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 betrayals, the the it's a sexy story as well when you have Napoleon's sister coming over and all her antics and all of that's in there and and the dancing and the drums and and the the you know murder and intrigue all of that is in within this this amazing story. I mean, it's juicy. It's filled with you know everything that any dramatist would want to write. And I and I and I got it. And I said, oh. And so when it came time for me to write my thesis, or I started like you know doing my research over the years and. Um, and thank God it all all came out the way it did. Well, well, you get to the drama. And so what I want you to do for our listeners is take us to August 22nd, mm. 1791. Mm. What's leading up to that date and what happens on that date? Wow. Okay, I'm, I'm going to try to give you the shortest version of this possible. But so while... Slavery is going on in the French colony of Haiti. In France, they are also about to have an uprising later, which would be the French Revolution. But the people that were the Jacobins of the French Revolution, people like uh, Robespierre, uh, Brissat, Marabout, um, they also had uh, formed a, a I want to say organization for that's a too modern of a term, but right now, but are called uh, the Friends of the Blacks. They were they were uh, against slavery, and they spoke about it. Uh, they wanted the Fr- France to um, stop the slave trade and you know free the blacks. Well, word got back to Haiti about that, uh, and there was also a caste system. So there were a group of mulattoes that went over to talk to the French about liberating the the mulattoes, and the French government declined to do that. They came back. They tried to start uh, a revolt, but they were uh, Orge and Chavana, and they were captured. They were uh, they were assassinated or murdered. Um, in public, um, they were courted. And so, you know, the fear tactic was that if you do this, this is what will happen to you. But when the black slaves saw that, they um, they decided that they were going to do something too. And they would have these meetings. They would, you know, c- come off the plantations at night and go into the woods and have these voodoo Meetings. Voodoo is a, a religion. It's not about the zombies that Hollywood, you know, tries to stuff down our yeah. throat. And they would have these yeah. uh, voodoo ceremonies in which they would ask Dambala, their, their supreme god, 
to give them strength to go out and liberate themselves from slavery. And on this particular night, as it's described in everything I've read, August 22nd of, 17, of 18, uh, 1789, um, 1789, August 22nd, it's night, it's thunder and lightning and rain, and it's in the woods, and they're having a voodoo ceremony. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. There's thousands of slaves there. They cut the the throats of goats and other animals, and they drink blood, a blood sacrifice, and they go out and begin this revolt led by a man named Buckman, who was a huge man of Jamaican descent. And uh, he was a voodoo priestess, priest and a voodoo priestess by the name of Defile, who was very instrumental in, in the revolution all from beginning to end. Buckman was kept. That is so cool. Yeah. Can I just say, so, so a woman was at the start of one of the first emancipatory acts oh. of the Haitian Revolution. Yes, yeah, yeah. She she was uh she Defile had had um her her backstory is that she had been a slave on one of the plantations in Haiti with a cruel, cruel master, quote unquote. And um she was raped, you know, and, and finally she decided that she wasn't going to take it anymore. And she actually killed her master and, uh, and disappeared into the forest. They could not find her. They looked for her, they hunted for her. And she became one of the leaders of the, of the revolt. And, um, she was like, really when, when you talk about the black triumvirate, it's kind of a disservice not to mention uh, Defile because she was right there with them. You know, um, she didn't reach the heights in terms because she was a woman and she was like voodoo and a priestess and all that. And she kind of lived on the outskirts of everything. But she was just as important to their success as any of them were. And that's yeah. incredible. And first, just as a preliminary matter too did i get that was it 1791 or 1789 did i get that wrong no the, 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 it started in 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 uh seven this discrepancy in the in the in the dates was 1789 and then i think we were set to 1791 was when uh Toussaint was able to kick the french out not not, not kick, okay so that's yeah, how I got yeah, yeah. so uh, but in terms of this original this original dramatic moment that is August 22nd of 1789. Am I I think, that yes. right? Let me double check on that myself. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a long time. <laughs> yeah. Well, Hey, that, that's yeah. Yeah, totally. So we have, and gosh, as a side note that that would appear to be almost a separate screenplay um, for this women leader of the, oh, of the yeah. revolution. So I okay, we could all do another oh, yeah. podcast just on that. Um, so we have this, this original, dramatic start to the revolution i mean and i always hate to use the american version but this is this is the you know the first shots at at, at lexington you know where it's it's rebellion breaks out or maybe the storming of the bastille um what happens then after this initial 
um, rebellion breaks out in August 22nd of 1789. Well, um, they take off and they're running all around the island and they are, they're dead serious. You know, they're killing, you know, every white person that they come in contact with, especially if they were, you know, a slave owner or uh, had anything to do with, with, with keeping them in bondage. And um, they, they, they really wanted Toussaint to become involved, but he, he, he refused at first because he didn't see like how this was going to end, you know, this was not going to end good according to him, you know, Hmm. and um, they eventually captured Buckman, the leader, the, because the French had formed a militia and uh, they went out and it was all out battle and they captured Buckman, cut his head off and stuck it on a pike uh, as a warning and a deterrent, but it it served the opposite. It enraged people, and so they continued to fight the militia and um, and the 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 revolters uh, continued to come to Toussaint um, for help for leadership. Because they knew that he was the one that could lead them. And as Toussaint kept seeing the devastation that was happening around him, he reluctantly decided that he would come in. At at first, he came in as a a medicine man to take care of their their wounded. Because remember, he he was proficient in that area. And um, but then he realized that there was no way that uh, he could not, he could stay out of it. And he ended up becoming the leader of the, the revolters. And he eventually with Henri Christophe uh, turned those re, uh, revolters into an army. And um, they eventually um, had to deal with uh, the, the the French sent in their army from France. And so they had to, there was a, there was like a fight, you know, and eventually Toussaint won. And the French decided that, okay, well, uh, we'll, we'll have you on outside because that's what Toussaint wanted. I mean, along with them being freed, he wanted to stay loyal to the French. He was a Frenchman too. You know, he had that loyalty and, um, and so when that happened, um, the French, who were at war with England and Spain, um, would now had to fight. Uh, well, the England and Spain now had to fight Toussaint, you know, who was now fighting for the French army. And guess what? They lost. I mean, Toussaint came in with his soldiers. And by this time, they're wearing French uniforms, and and they're they're not only fighting well, good, they're looking good. They Toussaint had a um, he he was a master of guerrilla warfare. He had figured out how to beat the French army was through guerrilla warfare. So he so he employed that and used that tactic, you know, um, wearing the French uniforms and. Um, and that's why they defeated the British and the Spanish. 
And then after that, uh, the French sent over a, a commissioner by the name of Santhanax, who was supposed to basically keep order on the island and run the island, you know, because they didn't think that a, a mm-hmm. black person could run the island, even though Toussaint had risen to power and was the most well-respected person in the region at that time. But Santhanax had a, he, he, he befriended Toussaint and, you know, to, to the, to the naked eye, everyone would think that they were best friends. But Toussaint saw through Santhanax, who basically wanted him to uh, to um, get rid of all the whites, especially the French, on the island so they could run it. And Toussaint was like, wait a minute. No, what do you mean we, we can run it? You know, hmm. um, you know, my people fought and died. Here, you did not shed one drop of blood. So how 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 are you going to come here and lead us? In fact, no. I tell you what, go home, go back to France, and hmm. you have two weeks to pack. And if you are here on uh, one day after that, then I'm going I'm going to deal with you. And uh, so Santhanax left. Toussaint declared himself the ruler of Haiti, but he was still under the French flag. And by this time, Napoleon comes into power. And Napoleon is not liking the fact that Toussaint has been getting all this recognition. And he especially doesn't like the fact that he is now in control of Haiti. So he sends over an army of 80 ships uh, with his uh, brother-in-law, General Leclerc, Leclerc, and who is married to his sister Pauline, and who, you know, there was a um, there was a mandate by one of the many mandates by Napoleon that no white woman, any white woman caught sleeping with a black person, would be executed. Well. <laughs> His sister was having a very good time when she got over there. Let's just put it like that. <laughs> um, you know, and uh, so Leclerc comes over and tries to implement control, but um, they are met with fierce resistance from Toussaint and Desaline and Christophe in the entire Black Army, and they engage in this long, long war in which um, both sides are are receiving like, you know, many, many casualties and deaths and all of that. And finally, um, Toussaint, all Toussaint really wanted to do was, um, was, was be, you know, considered a Frenchman and, but have freedom, you know, for his people at the same time. And he wanted to talk to Napoleon about it um but he didn't he didn't he he didn't completely trust them and they set up they set it up where uh Toussaint would go over to France to speak to Napoleon however they had a big it's called the bank I call it the the banquet of death they had a big banquet and um 
they convinced um, Toussaint to come to this banquet. And he did, but he was very suspicious of what was going on because Leclerc had talked to Desaline and Christophe, you know, about getting that things would be better if Toussaint was not around and that he needed to come to France to talk to Napoleon and then maybe things would get better. And, um, and so let's, let's back up a little bit, though. So that element, and these are the other big two of the of the triumphant right, of the right, right. right. Des- right. Jean Jacques Desaline, who was uh, he was a slave on uh, on the island of Haiti. Uh, he's a big big man, big, well built, very mean, um, and a ferocious warrior. Uh, had beaten, had been beaten to death on several occasions, and actually, uh, Desolée was his his lover, and she would come out of the woods, and she brought him back to life like more than once, and she would come out of the woods and 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 take care of him on those times where slave owners had beaten him near to near death. Uh, his back, according to Everything I read was just a mass of, of 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 flesh and you know celluloid uh keloid rather uh, marks and um so you know but he was a ferocious man and Christophe on the other hand was just kind of the opposite. He was a he had been a free black man uh from the age of sixteen. He worked in the hotel as uh one of the major hotels in Haiti as a waiter. Um, so he knew several languages. He, he also knew the, um, the lay of the lay of the, he knew the waters because he had actually been a captain's boy when, um, you know, when he was a slave, but his owner quote unquote was, um, treated him like a son. And um, when he was 16, he was uh, he was given his freedom. And so he. So so these two, though, ultimately, they sort of betray. Well, that's what happened. I mean, what what leads to the banquet? um, For the banquet, uh, Leclerc had had approached Desiline and he approached Christophe. And basically offered them, you know, what, what would be today millions of dollars, you know, land and property, money, you know, to uh, to basically turn on on Tucson, and and they did that. And I got to tell you, Rocky, when when when, when I was, I, I'll never forget the day when I was living in Iowa City. I was on uh, on Gilbert Street, I think, at the house over there. And and it was very, very cold, cold night. And I was reading this particular section, what we're talking about right now. And I, because I, I, I had this like uncanny identification with Christophe. And uh, when I read that he actually betrayed Toussaint, I literally ended up like crying and I had to take a, I had to like go out into that cold weather and I took a walk around the area, you know, just trying to clear my head. I couldn't believe that this guy had actually betrayed Tucson. 
And then, uh, so, uh, it, it yeah, very, they betrayed I, I him. Mean, and, uh, you know, that night it? at the banquet, Toussaint would not eat because he was very leery of the fact that they might poison him. Toussaint was like, he, he, he knew something was up, but he didn't know exactly what. And uh, so he wouldn't eat. He ate a piece of cheese, according to the, uh, the reports that I read. And then... Um, mm-hmm. And then they arrested him and and took him to France. But instead of him meeting with Napoleon, they took him to the French Alps uh, at a prison up there and uh, locked him away. And um, and he died, which was I thought was a horrible, horrible death sentence, because here is a man that had never seen snow before never felt cold before and he died you know looking at snow and 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 basically what he died of was pneumonia you know uh because he was in a cold cell and they gave him one blanket and and um um yeah he he wasn't going to survive that Toussaint Overture sitting in a French prison in the French Alps gasping for breath as he dies of pneumonia and he thinks that he has failed and that potentially the revolution has failed and he, and he, and he dies in a French prison after he's been betrayed by people that he trusts. Incredibly sad, but it's almost like it's out of a movie. That's not the last chapter. What happens next? Well, what happens next is that, uh, Leclerc, and Rochambeau, who is this like very, very uh, hostile, mean, bordering on a psychopathic French general, um, have invited Desiline and Christophe to. Well, they were already in the French army, and and they've offered them all of this, uh, all these bounties. Uh, you know, they have a chateau, they have, they have money, they have their own, you know, uh, uh, army and, um, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of like living, 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 living large. And, um, uh, but they're under the, they're under the French, uh, government and, and Leclerc and Rochambeau are basically, you know, running things. Um, however, Word gets back to them that Toussaint died and never met Napoleon. And now they're like, okay, now they're feeling, first of all, they're feeling like their own betrayal. They're feeling like they they have betrayed their their father, their leader, their and they're not happy about it. Um, that was their own decision. But then what enrages them even more. It's when Napoleon decides that he's going to reinstate slavery on the island. And, but they are promised, you know, that they would just be in the French army. Um, and all his, all of the soldiers would not be affected by this, uh, decree that they reinstate slavery. And when Christophe and Desiline heard that, they were like, okay, well, we're, we're back at war. And there was still, even through this whole time, there was a contingent 
of black people or black uh, warriors that had were living in the mountains and living in the jungle because they never trusted the the French. Petit Noel and San Sushi and people like that were, uh, you know, had their their regiment of fighters in in the mountains and and the the jungle of of Haiti, and so they, you know, came out and. Well, actually, uh, Desaline and Christophe contacted them because they were hunting these guys down for the French. And then they finally said, yeah, well, no, we're not fighting with the French anymore. We're fighting with you. We're not going to allow them to reinstate slavery on the island. So there was this huge war that um, between the French, Rochambeau and Leclerc, and at that time, too, there was a yellow fever had had come to the island and was decimated, just like we're having a pandemic here right now. That was the yellow fever pandemic, and uh, in that in that region, anyway. And uh, so, a lot of people were dying from disease, and a lot of the French soldiers, more than the blacks, because the blacks were um, kind of not not immune, but they weren't being as affected by the yellow fever as the French were because they were not accustomed to the heat and, and all of that. And a lot, a lot of them died. However, um, you know, they, when the French fought, came up against Desaline and Christophe, um, they were, they were no match. Um, Christophe was, uh, very, very cerebral. You know, he outsmarted them at every turn. And Desaline was just, they called him the tiger because he was just ferocious. And his, and his followers were, were ferocious, you know. And um, here's a little side, uh, an aside that I think might be, might be interesting for your, your listeners. Um, Desaline actually had a bodyguard, and his name was Jean Jacques Zombie. And he was a soldier who was supposed to be one of the fiercest fighters ever. And every time he was in battle and he was like shot or stabbed or whatever, and people thought he was, he had died, he would get up and keep coming. And that's where the word zombie came from. Wow. You know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because he, they couldn't kill him. And he would always come back and and keep fighting. And he said he had something like 90 wounds on his body, you know, and he would just get up and just keep fighting. It's it crazy. And, and, of course, then connecting zombie with the voodoo, you can see how that would easily uh, sort of yeah, emerge. That's where it came from. The racism. What was that? That's where it came from. Yeah. Yeah, the actual zombieism and zudo, voodoo, yeah. as the, as the walking and living dead, you know. That's incredible. So you you basically have the situation where, in contrast to like a South Africa type situation, where you say, okay, well, we know we're going to lose eventually, so we're going to cut a deal. There were various times where the French had tried to cut a deal, but ultimately, the slaves and these leaders crushed the French. They won. The French yeah. had to give in. 
right. which to me is is very very powerful and yeah. that you can imagine um so they then lead the revolution successfully and it becomes the f- first and only successful slave revolt ever and the closest one prior to that would have been Spartacus that's right um so this is incredible and and it sort of leads to the obvious question being here in the United States uh you and of course a lot of things we talked a little bit in our prep you know there was a lot of drama that occurred after the revolution um in terms of these these two leaders but in terms of the United States this sends absolute shockwaves through the American South. I mean, they have the sense that next. So I don't know if you could comment a little bit about, you know, the impact on the American slave owners in terms of, uh, you know, what their feelings were in terms of how that manifested itself in the United States leading up to the Civil War. I know it's a big topic, but it is this amazing event in world history that we're not talking about where we don't talk about so i'm hoping we can learn a little bit today well well yeah i mean the things that happened in haiti during that time uh reverberated around the world because because by the end of it not by the end but but by the time um christophe came to power and he declared himself king of haiti um haiti actually was a world power Nothing could happen in the Caribbean without the consent of King Henri Christophe. So, you know, trade, everything. Um, so he had power there. And, 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 and the mere fact that they were successful scared the hell out of anybody who was pro-slavery or, or involved in slavery. So in the Americas, yeah, they, they, they were, they were terrified of any type of slave revolt. That's why they were so hard on. So when Nat Turner's revolt happened in Virginia in, I think it was 1831, and then you had Denmark Vesey, and you had uh, Gabriel Prosser down in South Carolina, uh, in Charleston, those revolts were put down hard. I mean, what they did to to Nat Turner to send a message after they caught him was, you know, they, they, they skinned him alive. They quartered him. It, it was just horrible, but they, they, they wanted to send a message because they didn't want, um, they didn't want to, what happened in Haiti, they didn't want to happen in the, in the Americas. Uh, they did. And were those, but, were those slave owners, slave owners, were those slaves like Nat Turner, is there any evidence that they were actually aware of what had happened in Haiti? Because a lot of the slaves were not able to be educated. I imagine there may be some oral messages that well, got yeah. through, but yeah, were they aware? Okay, they were. Yeah, not. not I'm not going to say. Oh, I, I, I do know that um, uh, uh, was aware, and and because I, um, he was in South Carolina, and and uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that Nat Turner was aware, aware. Uh, Nat Turner was, was like, the, you know, was uh, inspired according to his own words, you know, because he wrote, you know, the Nat Turner diary. And uh, he was inspired by God. He was a very religious man. Um, 
And that's what I read mostly. Now, did he know of Toussaint? I, you know, I don't know. I mean, the, 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 the educated guess is that he did, but I, I don't have any proof of that. I never read that. Well, one, one, one that I had mentioned up a little bit in, in our prep was is also this book I had read about 10 years ago by Daniel Rasmussen about the Charles DeLand revolution in Louisiana. And I don't remember exactly what, how he connected that to Toussaint Louverture, um, but New Orleans and Haiti were integrally linked in terms of the sugar, the port, the commerce, the culture. Um, and it has another aside, again, one of the best adaptations I've ever seen of Shakespeare is the Midsummer Night's Dream that you were in, uh, where you had the Haitians with the, with the Southern aristocrats, and, and that whole dynamic was incredible. Um, but, but in terms of certainly that, that would have just radiated through the, you know, the, up the Mississippi, you know, throughout the American South, up through, as my understanding, even John, John Brown at Harper's Ferry, that, that it was still resonating throughout the uh, American South, up, up through the Civil War. Well, well also, um, it was during that time that uh, Napoleon was trying to claim Louisiana and that whole region as, as for France, for France. And he wasn't able to do it because of all the things that was happening with Toussaint Louverture. Um, you know, he had to, all of his attention had to go to Haiti. And eventually, uh, uh, the United States claimed, claimed Louisiana. So in a lot of ways, if, if, Napoleon wasn't dealing with Toussaint Louverture, then Louisiana, that Louisiana compromise deal, that would have gone to the French. And uh, that would be a French French um, uh, property, you know. Um, and that, that, that makes so much sense to me because you just think tactically he would have needed the Haitian port, right. the power, the, the money. Exactly. He would have needed that as a base of operations exactly. for material to secure, you know, essentially New yeah. Orleans. And, and if he didn't have that. And so I always sort of wondered, why the hell did he sell this for 15 million bucks? Well, it's sort of like, you know, I have a deal that you can't refuse because it was already a reality. Exactly. So it's like, well, I might as well get the 15 million bucks and then we just don't have the resources to do it anyway. So, so and that gets to my next question, which is. Here we have, um, and of course, the question almost provides the answer, but this huge figure in the Western Hemisphere, which is literally and figuratively whitewashed from the American history books. Yeah. Why? Why? I mean, he is one of the he is as influential as any of the American founders. Um, why is this? And, and two related to that is, are you aware of more efforts to get the word out now in American schools related to the legacy of Toussaint Louverture? Well, the fear, again, uh, is that with the success of the Haitian Revolution, that it could happen in the, the United States. And so um, I think it's fear. I think it's uh, whitewashed from our history books, you know, the significance of it and all that, because of fear. People were afraid to let black people know that it was even possible. And uh, if you don't know that it's possible, then, or you think it's impossible, then, you know, there's a, there's a safety in that. And, and, you know, why put it in 
in the history books if you are thinking that it might inspire people to, you know, revolt, to take up arms, to do violence. Um, so, no, it, it was it was definitely it's not in the average American history book or, or, or for that matter, world history book, you know, um, even now, even now and today, 2020 at 2.23 p.m., December 3rd, 2020, even now, I mean, you think of the rage that so many, especially white people had with, with Barack Obama, right. you know, who's a relatively equanimous conventional leader, uh, you know, that that still, I think, resonates deeply. And, and, you know, to me, I've never understood that because it's like, hey, you know, for freedom, I think most people would agree that they, you know, Nat Turner was absolutely justified. Uh, you know, Toussaint Louverture was absolutely justified. I mean, that this institution was so evil that, you know, to quote Malcolm X, its extermination was justified by almost any means yeah. necessary. Uh, and it's inspiring, though, the fact that he was able to bring about this revolution, revolution, and it and it still resonates. So they can't keep us from talking about it. Um, and I'm really hoping that you're able to, you know get this into film format because I think it just, it has so, I, mean, I even think even too, Les Miserables, all of this stuff, the musical, it could be a Hamilton type thing. Maybe you, maybe you and Lynn Miranda should, <laughs> you know, connect. And I think of the music and all this stuff. I'm like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, so that gets to the last thing that I was really blown away in prepping for this show. Um, you talked about in your author's notes to the play, you know, so if someone wants to get the play and they want to do the play, they, they get your notes. Um, and when you speak about it, you provide this to them, but you say, and I quote, this play under no circumstances intends to promote antagonism or ill feelings for one group of people to another. It is the hope of the playwright that in dramatizing these events, an audience will leave with a better understanding of the world, the way it was in order to bring added clarity to the way that we see the world today. Hopefully in exposing the truth, open dialogue and conversation may occur. And this dialogue should enhance the ongoing process of healing between the races. And when you wrote that, it, it really, that also blew me away because, um, you know, one of my heroes is Nelson Mandela for a lot of reasons, like about 2 billion other people. But what I loved about Nelson Mandela is that, he so seamlessly synthesized these two seemingly contradictory impulses, which is, of course, in every revolution, there is violence, there is force, there is toughness, there is steel, especially in the face of an overwhelmingly evil enemy, right? And so Nelson Mandela was, was like, hey, you guys have a choice. You can seek democracy, and if you do, one person, one vote, we will reconcile. And we will forgive, but you have to confess. And we're going to have the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Now, if you don't, there is another way. And that's, you know, Armalite, right? And steel. And so it was this sort of this message of ultimate forgiveness coupled with toughness. And I think, you know, rhetorically, that's really what you're doing as I see it with this play. You are offering this inspiring uh, tale of redemption, hope. But ultimately, there was violence. But it's this message of, you know, also knowing our history, because it is our mm -hmm. shared history, and being able to forgive one another. Because ultimately, I think, ultimately, living in this multi-party, you know, multi-plural society, 
we have to we have to be able to talk about it. And, and I think this is, but yet people don't because people take it out of context. They say, oh, you're calling for violence, these sorts of things. I even think with Black Lives Matter, I think how inspiring it is and how often it's sort of ripped from the core in terms of what they're actually trying to do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? In terms of what they're actually building. Um, so I don't know if you want to just comment on that. I guess that was a little bit more of a peroration on my part. But so what are your thoughts in, the, in terms of that piece of it, in terms of where he stands as a great world leader and, and, the, and, the, and this concept of reconciliation? Well, here we are in 2020. And um, over the past few years, especially, it seems that, I mean, racism has never gone anywhere, but it seems like over the past few years, and I want to get into it, but um you know, it, it, it seems to be prominent, trending, as they say today. Racism has raised its ugly head again in 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 the worst way. Um, it, it it is promoted, you know, by the actions that we've all seen on the TV, whether it be by uh, police killings of black people or the kins and Karens of the world. And... Um, you know, and I think that a lot of the the fear that is in people that helps promote racism is because we don't have a dialogue about it. We don't know each other. Um, you know, if I if I know you, and you know, because we are having a a, a human discussion about everything about history, about the way things are manifesting mm-hmm. itself today, um, then I think we get past a lot of stuff, you know, a lot of issues. Um, it, it occurs to me that we, a lot of times, don't you think we hate the abstraction, but we love the person we're talking to. So as polarized as we are, Maybe, maybe maybe this would actually be incorrect. I, I don't know in practice, but I don't know. Have you ever come across someone who you think you're not going to like, and then you talk to them and you get the internal narrative? And we, you know, you're a storyteller, <laughs> right? We all have these incredibly powerful storytelling mechanisms as to how we are right and the other mm-hmm. is wrong. We have these shared experiences of subjectivity, but we project as if our subjective world is a, is objective. And so we have so much hate, but then we actually talk to people. It's amazing how much they're, I'm not saying, you know, kumbaya and we always get along, but it's surprising how often that happens when people do the play, they talk afterwards and we can actually talk. Cause you'd mentioned the Ken and Karens of the world. They're, that's a huge group. And I think like that St. Yeah. Louis couple, you know, where they just don't express their, their, their feelings. And so, the re- and usually it's because of other whites in the audience that then say, you know, blah, blah, blah. But then they hold all this bile inside of them and it festers and then they vote for Trump or, or whomever or whatever demagogue there is at the moment. As, as, as opposed to getting these things out. And I'm sure you've had a lot of moments being in Iowa where you almost had to like wince a little bit when people would say stuff. But you really have to think about like if someone says something dumb, but with good intent in their heart, what's your response? You know, and, and so I think that's why it seems like what you were trying to do with that. And of course, you'd be the ultimate expositor of what you were trying to do. But to say, after this play, can we have a conversation where we can learn this history, the truth of what happened, the inspiration of what happened? And can we use it and bring it into the present moment? 
is I mean, is that sort of what your thought process was, or, or well, you 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 you're in the ballpark for sure. Um, you know, two things came to mind, and um, one was opening night of the play in L.A. in two thousand and one. We have a packed audience, and uh, of an audience that is cross-reference, blacks, whites, old, young. Um, I didn't know that how many Haitian people were living in L.A., but there were Haitian people there. And the play ends, and there's this rousing standing ovation, right? And um, and after the play, um, people came over, and I was I was literally like mobbed, you know, when they found out that I was the playwright. And there were some Haitian people with tears in their eyes, you know, literally like just because they were so moved and happy that this thing had happened. And the next day uh, in one of the reviews from a white reviewer uh, canned the play, I mean, viciously. And uh, I'll never forget one of her, I'm, I'm a paraphrase, but she said that uh, if Levy Lee Simon wanted to write a play about the Haitian Revolution, he should have kept it in the in the in, in academia and not not allowed us to see this travesty or something like that, right? And and, mm-hmm. and I I I actually like laughed at the at the review. Um, the next day, you know the the director of the play, you know, he was angry. He wanted to call, um, he wanted to call equity. That's the union and, and, and complain about how this vicious, um, you know, this vicious review. And I laugh and I tell you why, because I, you know, I said to myself, I said, well, I didn't write the play for her. Um, you know, um, my, my play, my, my, my review came when the audience stood up. It came when the Haitian people were grabbing me by my by my shirt and crying, saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. Right? Uh, that was my review. You know, what do I care about this woman? However, what happened, even even with her bad review, and that was only it was only one, it was just her. The other reviews were 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 pretty pretty okay, but um, she she opened up a dialogue too. You know, um, we had we had to talk about that, and in doing so, guess what? Everybody is exposed to what this world was, what it meant, what it means to us, what it meant then, what it means to us now. You know, in terms of this horrible, horrible. Seems to be, um, you know, just prevalent in um, in our in our lives, you know, and 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 it's like this. It is a it's a pandemic in itself, you know. It's like a virus that won't go away, um, and the and the answers to it. I don't have the the answer. I'm not, you know. Everybody's been trying to figure it out for for you know decades and 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 but 
you know, one of one of the things I think I see is that we we have got to like get better at getting to know each other. If I if I know you, you know, I, I always say, man, to know me is to love me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, you know, because I don't have any totally. I lead does. I, I don't I, have any 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 um larceny in my heart. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to like hurt anybody. And I think the average person out there is not trying to hurt anybody. I think that we people get these preconceived notions in their in their head and 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 they 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 roll with that uh, for whatever reason i i don't know all the reasons you know i i i don't um um i had a i had a really really amazing education when i lived in iowa for 5 years iowa city for 5 years and was exposed to a different world you know after growing up in harlem and and traveling around you know by the time i got to iowa i had never been in in a situation where I felt more like a minority than there, but uh, it was it was it was an interesting time to to uh, dialogue with with a lot of people that when Iowa City is a special place, with dialogue with a lot of people that that were different, you know, from me, you know. And I want to before we close, I want to tell on myself, right? So, uh, EC maybe who founded the Iowa Theater. They have a, um, a a hall of fame, a wall of fame, right? Where all these pictures of all the great people that came through the University of Iowa Theater Department. And there's a picture of E.C. Maybe. It's kind of like an sepia tone. And he has a very stern face. And, and I looked at that picture and, and, and automatically I said to myself, oh, he's a racist, Right. I, 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 I don't know. I just, it just, and then I was doing some research on something and again, in the University of Iowa research library, I came across a letter that EC maybe wrote to Langston Hughes in the 1930s saying that he had a troop of black actors in Iowa City, and they were going to do his play, and he wanted permission to do his play, and they wanted him to come to Iowa City to talk to the Black actors. And Langston Hughes replied, yes, I will come and I will be there. And the great Langston Hughes came to Iowa City in the 1930s at the request of E.C. Maybe to talk to Black actors in Iowa City. Isn't that amazing? So what is next for the screenplay related to Toussaint Louverture? Well, um, you know, so many things have run into my head, but Danny Glover has been trying to get the movie done for over 20 years, and and Hollywood won't touch it um, because of what it it. it you know what of who he was again yeah. this is like whitewashing our history and um you know to talk about racism in this country to talk about the history of it sometimes you know it's a difficult conversation and i think what gets in the way a lot is emotions you know people get very emotional 
uh, talking about racism, you know, on both sides. And yep. what happens is that people shut down, you know, as opposed to getting through that difficult emotion, you know, um, because we got to get through that. We got to get past that and get to the to the kernel of it. And what is what what to me, what's at the kernel of it is that, you know, we're all human beings. We all want the same things. Why? Why would anybody want to? to see another person as less than, yeah. you know, why, why, why would you want, you know, people to go without healthcare? Why would you want people to go without, you know, education? Why would you want people to go uh, have less job opportunities? You know, I wouldn't want that for anybody. I, I don't understand, you know, that kind of uh, a mentality or that kind of thinking. So, um, you know, we, we've got to get to a point where, we become more empathetic, uh, and that only can happen once we get to know each other, once we talk to each other. You know, one of the things I appreciate, I mean, you know, Iowa was an education for me uh, on so many different levels, you know, but hey, man, you know, I got to know, I got to know you, bro. <laughs> you know what yeah. I'm saying? <laughs> you know? Well, and, no, that, that's an honor for me. I really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's true. You know, you are very authentic. Uh, man, an authentic person and a real person, and um, and I appreciate you. And um, and and it happened, you know, in, in Iowa where we began to talk and dialogue and get to know each other, you know. And here it is, you know, twenty plus years later, and we're still, you know, vibing. We don't talk all the time, but I know, I you know, as soon as I hear from you, it's 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 all good, you know. Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, I actually thought about you a lot. I don't know if you know this, but the Teamsters Union, I, I don't know if you, you probably didn't know Henry Harper when you were here, but he was a local leader who led a lot of civil rights tours and um, in the South. And he basically takes any, t- mostly children of color here in the city of Iowa City that wants to go on a civil rights trip through the South can go for free. Mm. And they do that civil rights tour every summer. They didn't do it last year, obviously, because of the pandemic. Uh, but it essentially is a two week paid trip and they hit all of the uh, sites, you know, wow. Memphis. And um, they go to Tuskegee mm-hmm. and they also try to connect them with a lot of the um, historically black colleges as well. Mm-hmm. One of the places that we saw was, you know, the Edmund Pettus Bridge and, you know, just to sort of connect to that history. And what made me think of that in connection with you is you give me the book Parting the Waters by Taylor Branch, mm-hmm. which was just you know, mind-blowingly, uh, life-changingly good. So I think that's what it shows, though. The true art and the true writing does pay dividends. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping that in highlighting this, uh, that, that it will get made into that movie because there is this fear. And I just think it, you know, you had mentioned, I think the first word out of your mouth was, is, you know, is he the, you know, the, it's a Braveheart-type epoch, you know, where it's just like, wow, uh, why wouldn't this be made? And, but I think there is still this fear and it's just Hollywood won't touch it because there's this deep seated fear in this culture, unfortunately, even now. So, you know, I think we need to grow up as a culture and say, Hey, let's sort of move on. And um, you know, let's, let's get it done. It's such an interesting story. And I'm hoping, you know, hopefully this can shine one little tiny light on, on this work because I I think it is an incredible work. And so I really appreciate uh, you coming on and uh, I hope this is not the last podcast we do together. I'm always interested in, in writing and reading and, 
any other topics you want to share. So I, I would really appreciate it. And uh, so just let me know anytime you want to be in the Rocky cast, you'll always be welcome. Oh man. Thank you so much. I'm glad you're doing this. Uh, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, get the word out. And um, I, I'm, I'm here, you know, anytime we could do it, let's do it. All right. Sounds good. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Thank you. Totally Thank you, Rodney. All right. Yep. Next time on the yep. Rocky cast. All right. Take, take care. care. All right. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.